Hi, my name is Melissa K. Jones, founder of Little Black Desk Society and host of Women Who Excel. Women Who Excel is a leadership podcast featuring conversations with female founders to encourage excellence in leadership when serving our community, industry, and teams. I am excited to bring you a diverse group of women from different industries and backgrounds. Let's get started. Hi, Laura. Welcome to Women Who Excel podcast. I'm excited to have you share your leadership journey with us. And for those who haven't heard of Cultivate What Matters, tell us in one sentence what you do. Oh, man, you're giving me a challenge, my friend. One sentence. Well, I'll give you this sentence. It's not a single, single sentence. It's three, three sentences. <laughs> uh, you know how frustrating it is to end a year and feel like you did not make progress in the things that really matter to you. Well, that's what I do. I help women to cultivate what matters and live with no regrets and really use this gift of life on purpose. And you do that well. That's very kind. <laughs> so jumping right in, because you cultivate what matters, you do that with your team as well. So what steps do you take to be intentional in hiring for your team? Mm, that's a good question. Um, to be intentional with hiring for the team always starts with a mission. Uh, it always starts with uh, being connected on core values. Uh, so we look at two different things when we hire people. One is uh, that you are a core value fit for us, that you, uh, you don't have to exactly believe the exact same things that I believe, but that you can get on board with supporting the mission of why we do what we do, and you can amplify that for us. And then second would be skill fit. Core value fit is always more important. Um, I think that uh, someone who believes in the vision of our brand can always uh, rise to a certain level with skills in some way. Obviously, we like to have both, but <laughs> that's the most important thing is that um, we always say, if you're not excited about it, no one's going to be excited about it. So we got to look for that enthusiasm. I agree. And define between the value and the skill, because there's a part of skill where you can be trained or you can learn the skill on the job, but also because of what you do, and there's a lot of creativity, some of that skill you need coming into the role. So how do you distinguish between the two as far as like, what is the minimum that that's required? And then what can they learn while they're on the job? Yeah, that's really a great question. Um, it's something we're like actively thinking about all the time because we are such a small team. We run a really big business um, with a very small amount of people. And because of that, we have to have uh, team members who are highly skilled. Um, and so when I say core values always comes first, that's like a pay to play. You have to have a strong focus on, for us, enthusiasm, integrity, uh, the power of one. That's, that's a one-to-one -one relationship is always more important than the masses um, and various other things. But <laughs> there are, are only a few things I think that can be trained in someone. One is leadership. Leadership can be trained if someone has the desire for it. Um, I think that some technical skills, of course, can be trained, but this may sound complex to explain, but you, uh, an ideal candidate already has the operating system built into them. They have to have what we, we uh, learned from Patrick Lencioni, a get it, want it mentality. You've got to get it, you've got to want it, you have got to have the capacity to do it. 
Um, we use the traction model in our business. Um, obviously learn from others like Patrick Lencioni and um, lots of other great people. But to me, the things that can be trained are things that are skills that you can build upon something that's already there. <laughs> I agree. Something that's intrinsic. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think the biggest thing is you have to have a desire to constantly be learning. In our type of business, we don't just wear one hat. We wear like 15 different hats all the time. And you have to know how to flex, how to think way ahead, how to not get so sucked into the narrow thinking that you're not already thinking about what's coming 50 steps ahead of you. Um, so I think that's really important. That's something I actually, Melissa, was thinking about. I really want to instill that in my children. That to be not only the ideal candidate for a job, but to function really well in life and to be effective for what matters most. Um, you have to have that big picture thinking, but also really strong way to get things done. <laughs> What's because you have such a small business, what specific boundaries or practices have you established to allow everyone to excel in their roles? We fight for this. Um, we fight for uh, nine to five. Um, it's a, a strong temptation to work after hours, especially when we're doing big projects, which is all the time. I mean, really, there are there's probably no day where we finish a day and we think, okay, all the work is done, <laughs> you know? Um, but here's the kicker is that when we hold to those nine to five boundaries, we hold each other accountable to that. And we say, no, it's five o'clock, close that computer and go home, <laughs> go be with your people. Um, it does two things. One, it helps us to live what we preach, which is to cultivate what matters. And that is the most important thing. And uh, number two, it helps us to be more efficient. If you can't get your work done within the nine to five hours, then um, it also, uh, if you work over hours, let me back up, if you work over hours, it creates a false sense of your capacity. I agree. Think, oh, I'm getting so much done, but actually you're not because what's really getting done is you. Um, so yeah, I hope that answers your question. I kind of went on four different trains there, but. No, I agree with you because. Is, yeah, boundaries. <clears throat> have those shorter time periods, then you're more apt to get things done. Whereas if it's a longer frame of time saying like you work after five, then you think you have more time to accomplish it. And people have a tendency to procrastinate. So they'll wait till the end. Yeah. And I've like read all the statistics about your brain really only has about four high capacity working hours during the day. And so we are also really intentional about making sure people take breaks. <laughs> um, we want you to go take a walk. We have a chart in our office um, that uh, is called Hike Mount Glute. We aptly named it that because it is this really high, steep grade hill that is right by our new office. Um, and so going up and down that thing, you're winded <laughs> on the way up. So we have a little chart in our office that once you hike Mount Glute, you put your sticker on there and we're going to have a group prize at the end so that we're all motivated to get everybody up and moving. Sounds like a but lot things of things like that. Yeah. You got to have like in-person connections with people. You have to take breaks. I take constant breaks. Um, I, I can feel it. It's like there's times when I'm sitting down and I'm doing a long form project for like two or three hours and that's fine when I'm in the zone, but typically I'm getting up every hour, 30 minutes or so, going to get a snack, going to hug the kids, taking a walk, whatever it needs to be. What communication practices do you have in place? And the reason I ask is because again, it's such a small knit office and you're so yeah. close together, but also because a lot of feminine personalities. Yes. How, because sometimes people, it can be hard for them to have hard conversations. Mm-hmm. 
And then those come faster and create challenges. Mm -hmm. We, um, our, our half of our team right now is trained in crucial conversations. Uh, we've done a formal training and I cannot recommend that enough. Even if you're not on a team, even if it's just you and your spouse or you and your dog or whatever it is, uh, Crucial Conversations was game-changing for us. So the rest of the team is actually going. Um, we're sending them all this next month. And um, it's a two-day training. There's also a book called Crucial Conversations. Um, but we follow that model um, of embracing conflict and knowing that conflict is healthy. That actually, when we're having conflict, it means we're all fighting for something. Um, and that was a, a, a switch flip for me in my head because I always thought, no, if we're having conflict, something's wrong. That means we don't like each other. Um, but now we have learned to, in the middle of like heated debates, and when I say heated, they're more just like passionate, yeah. passionate debates about what color to make this or what phrasing to use for this, or should we do this project or should we not? Um, many times one of us will stop. We're trained now. We stop and we say, I just want to acknowledge that this conflict is really good. Keep going. And it helps people to know like you're safe here. Um, and so that's a, one of the biggest things is crucial conversations for us. Um, I think on a practical level also, we, and we're working more on this now because we have uh, several new team members. So it's always a, uh, an opportunity to reestablish uh, working boundaries is how to interrupt people, how to know when to ask a question of someone, how to say, Hey, I actually need 15 minutes. My brain is like so razor focused on this one thing. So there's that. Um, and then we do have some uh, remote days for team members, like one or two days a week. So that really helps too to have time to work on long form projects. So you're not feeling that conflict of, please stop talking to me. I need to get things done. <laughs> I love you, <laughs> but I got a task list. Um, and several other things, but I really think the, the biggest thing is the crucial conversations and also um, all of Patrick Lanzioni's books about building trust. I know you and I have kind of chatted about those before. Um, can't recommend those enough. We started with the five dysfunctions of a team about two years ago. And just that triangle model that there's a bedrock of trust in a healthy team and an ability to be vulnerable and embrace conflict. Um, it's not easy to get there. It's not, it, it took us a long time to get there, but getting there feels so right. feels so good. So just want to encourage people that it's worth it. How do you think that's impacted your relationships with both your clients and also with business partners where you've had to or use those same skills for crucial conversations? Have you seen yeah, I mean, there too? We use them on the daily, on the daily. And I, I love hearing my coworkers um, use those techniques. I mean, we know them because they're, they're relatively formulaic, but they do give you uh, uh, a guideline of how, okay, we're trying to negotiate this deal with a fulfillment partner or whatever it is. And they're, they haven't held up to their end of the bargain. We're upset about it, but how can we both come into what they call, it's a cheesy thing. They call it the shared pool of meaning. Uh, but how can we to unpack that, come to a mutual understanding, not compromise, but actually like hear each other. Cause compromise is kind of the opposite of that. Um, how can we hear each other's point of view and fight for the same things? And so it's been very beneficial. I mean, we've been like thrown into the fire with it and a lot of things, um, but especially for junior team members to have that skill tool set to walk into difficult emails or difficult situations has been great. It's huge, huge, yeah. especially with customer service and especially yes. with e-commerce business and 
Yep. Responding <clears throat> to people online. So you have the practices in place as far as for communication and boundaries. What is the average tenure for your team members? Obviously, because I know you, there's a lot of women I've seen that have been on your team for close to 10 years, I think. Yeah. How do you think the culture that you've cultivated over the years has contributed to that tenure? Yeah, it's a, it's a sweet thing to think back on. And it like makes me a little teary eyed too at the same time, because I have been really blessed. Like I've been so blessed to work alongside some totally amazing women and, and um, all for such unique seasons of my life and their lives. Um, and you know, it's funny, we often think about Dave Ramsey talks about this all the time. He says, you know, when you have a business that is all about empowering people to own their entrepreneurial journey, inevitably that means that we have people that go on and own their entrepreneurial journeys. Um, and in a similar way for us with consistently teaching about cultivating what matters, we're constantly thinking about numbering our days, constantly talking about, when I say constantly, I mean like four or five times a week, we're having some sort of discussion about the big picture of life, you know, which is not really common in a lot of businesses. Um, so that has led team members like Amber was our marketing director for many years and I've known Amber for like 10 years and she discovered like, you know what, I need to get into a different season where I can be here more for my kids and I want to be able to do preschool pickup and all that. So we got the joy of, and the sadness of course too, of not having her on our team, but the joy of helping usher her into that. And it's really been the same with all of our team members. So to answer your question, um, it's a two pole part answer. Um, the time when we had Southern Weddings Magazine, I think the tenure was extremely long. Um, it's something that all of us believed in. Um, Nicole, our art director, was with us for seven years. Obviously, Emily still with us, 10 years um, this June. And uh, Marissa's been with us for nine years. Uh, Kristen was with us for five years. I mean, six years. So I'd say on average, probably five years. Um, definitely some more and some very much less. Um, but I think that's that's the, the and I'm kind of going off on a little tangent here, but that's the the tricky part about transitioning from one business into fully another. So we went from having Southern Weddings and Cultivate to now just having Cultivate. Um, we felt a bit of a shakeup in that too of, you know, people that said, okay, I've finished the work that I was given to do here. Just like we finished the work we were given to do um, with Southern Weddings. And it's always bittersweet. But truly, I think back and I think, gracious, I've been the most blessed. Um, and there really have been far and few between like so very little difficult situations with employees. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. <laughs> it's a huge compliment to your leadership ability to have tenure that long that they believed in the mission that you had carried the same values and you worked together because regardless of the size of business, that's a difficult feat to achieve. And so well, that's sweet. I feel like I can't that. take any credit. I really can't. I feel like uh, that is God's grace there because I don't feel like I've been an equipped leader and I feel like I've made every mistake in the book. Um, but by his grace, we have had work to do that is meaningful and that changes people's lives, including our own. So I really have to credit that. <laughs> Not me. I've, I've been blessed to be a part of it. That's all. <laughs> That's awesome. Real quickly, because I know this is a challenge for other people. How did you come into the space where you were comfortable with the transition period? Because I think for other small business owners that haven't been there before, where they're losing team members, it can be really tough 
because you're not ready to see somebody who knows everything about your business go on and either start their own business or go work for somebody else within the industry. Sometimes that's a lot of fear and ego surrounds that. So how did you become comfortable with that? Like were there aha moments or things that helped contribute to your ability to transition through that? Ah, oh, such a good question. And you're so insightful to even ask it in the way that you asked it. Um, you know, I feel like we're a unique animal. Uh, <laughs> up until this last year, uh, our office was in my home. Like I'm here in my home office right now and I still work here a few days a week because I have to have a quiet space to do podcast recording. But um, everything was done in my home. And that is a really unique experience to welcome uh, teammates into your home space where your children are, where you do life every day, where you're all in the kitchen together, you're all hanging out on the back porch together. It's a very intimate thing. And that comes with it a lot of emotional risk. Um, it's a lot of benefit too. Um, but you know, that the ladies get to know my kids. And so I'd say that how did I get comfortable with it? It's never comfortable to, to, I was about to say lose someone. Uh, but I guess that's not really it. It's never comfortable to, uh, go through a transition where you have invested so much of your heart. Um, I mean, even if we weren't here in my home space, it would feel the same. I mean, I just think of every, I've got their pictures in my head that all the women that I've been able to work alongside over these years um, that have made transitions to other things, to other seasons. Uh, it's been so hard, just emotionally, just like so sad. You just kind of, you know, you grow to love someone. You wake up every day and you think, I can't wait to see this person and they feel it too. Um, so I think that that's unique. And I, I it really, even just talking about it gives me a sense, a deeper sense of compassion for them too and going through that. Um, but on the, on the business end, how do we get used to it is I really have to trust God. Like I really have to say, and, and also celebrate their transition for them and with them, even though it's sad for me to say, I'm so proud of you for doing this. I'm so proud of you for making this transition. And I truly am, even though sometimes I have to say it through like tears and gritted teeth, you know, um, I'm going to miss you so much, but I'm so proud of you. Um, uh, but anyway, I think that on a business sense, um, there are always blessings in the storm. Always. Uh, there are always new opportunities that open up when someone leaves where I think this is at the most basic level. If I take all my emotion out, um, this is such a huge opportunity for someone else to come and be a part of this magic. And that's really what it's been. Like we have worried that, Oh my goodness, I don't know how we're going to fill that person's shoes. It's going to take like five people to fill that person's shoes. Um, and you know what? No one ever does fill that person's shoes. And that's kind of the point is, uh, better people come along for the right purpose in the right season. Um, but I mean, to really answer your question is it's hard. How do you, how do you get comfortable with it? You don't, <laughs> it's just it's like a, a friend moving to another state. It's a relationship. You don't, yeah. you grieve. Um, and so I say, go with the grieving. <laughs> Well, you have a beautiful perspective about it, and I'm glad you shared that portion of it because I hope that that inspires somebody else. Mm -hmm. What have you had to recognize and change about yourself in order to better serve your team as the business has grown? Because I believe you've talked a little bit about your role changing from mm -hmm. being a manager to more of a visionary and yep. having people step into that role on your team. Like, what has that looked like? The process? 
you know, it's funny. I think about my journey and I think <laughs> the Lord knew I was supposed to be a business leader because it was going to totally, you know, pull my heart out and stick it right out in front of me and expose all my weaknesses and help me to uh, be the woman he created me to be. And uh, so I'm putting this in a very small nutshell, but first several years of my business life were uh, really me growing and learning just the basics of business. Like, you know, I have a degree in music theater. I don't have a degree in business, learning how to be a business person, how to do that. Uh, next few years was learning how to let go, how to delegate to people, how to raise up leaders, which I'm still doing constantly. And I think that will be my uh, business track for however long I am able to do this is grow leaders, train leaders constantly. Um, but the, the main shift, which you're referencing, came about a year ago when I realized that um, I had my hand in too many pots. I have been doing this for a long time. I've been doing this particular business for 10 plus years. Um, I have a very clear vision for things. I have very specific parameters that I like to do things in. And so uh, it's very hard to get other people to do exactly the things that you like them to do, um, which I think every leader has trouble with letting go and delegating and letting someone else decide um, what's best, even if you would do it differently. And so uh, I realized about a year and a half ago uh, that I needed an integrator. And, and, and when I say integrator, I'm using terms from the traction book for people that don't know. Um, the visionary and the integrator are essentially the, uh, the essential dynamic duo for a thriving business, at least a business of our size. When you get to like 10 plus employees, you got to have Someone who is looking at the big picture, who is driving company culture, who is looking at research and development all the time, and someone who is taking all those things and making them happen. <laughs> and I have been doing both of those roles for all of time. And I started to feel extremely spread thin. Like I never had time to look at the big picture, even though I knew that that was what was going to drive us forward in the best way to keep our mission as the, the sole focus of what we do every day. Um, so I joined, and I, I think you're going to ask me about this probably soon, but I joined an organization called C12, um, which I'll talk about in a little while. Uh, but that is really where I started to see that in practice with other companies to see how beneficial having a division between the execution and the, the strategy essentially was. So we've tried a few different things in our business. I tried um, having Emily Thomas, who's my longtime 10 plus year coworker. Uh, step into that role. And that was very helpful. I think that kind of got our feet wet for a little while. Um, but she really had no interest in taking on a big leadership role in that capacity. She loves being a support person instead of the eyes of the whole business. And I love that about her. She knows what she's gifted in. Um, so all that to say is we've just as of like now, like it hasn't even actually officially happened yet, like as of a week ago, almost. Um, my coworker Kaylee is stepping into the integrator role and she's actually been a part of C12 for about a year and a half with me. That's awesome. And she is perfect for it. Like loves business, you know, double degrees in marketing. And um, it makes me really excited because I, the, the main thing that I think anybody needs to know about that relationship is there's a relationship built on trust. Um, that we're always on the same page, that knowing we're always on the same page means I can say, okay, Kaylee, I trust you go on and do this. And I believe she will. So that was a long answer to your question, but the answer is yes. I've had to change everything about myself 
and <laughs> constantly uh, having to die to myself and look at the big picture and, and look to others and train leaders and get my hands out of things um, so that I can look from 50,000 feet in the air over the business, look at the big picture um, and solve problems. I agree. And that's a very important part of the business in order for it to continue to scale and for you to serve both your team and your clients well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. We're just like feeling the growing pains. And, and I don't mean growing pains in like a really positive, you guys should think we're having great problems way. No, it's been hard. It's been really hard to go through this, like a period of burnout for all of us and realizing like, no, we don't want to grow our sales goals this year. We just want to have a year of like letting the land rest a little bit. And when I say rest, it's still a lot of hard work, but um, basically recalibrating how we do business and focusing more on uh, following closely the traction model. I feel like every time we try to deviate from it or do our own thing, we get in trouble. So <laughs> there you go. Well, I'm glad that you brought up C12 because that's a perfect segue into my next awesome. question because I know that you do frequently mention the positive impact that they have on your business. So what was your leadership like before versus after attending? And then where do you think you would be now if you hadn't joined them? Oh, that question just makes me so grateful to give that answer of, I don't know where I would be. I really don't. I it is my favorite day of the month because I get to sit around a table with businesses who are so far beyond us and some who are comparable to us. Um, and it's not even about the numbers or the, you know, revenue that they grow, even though that is impressive and something that I look to and I, uh, you know, can gain a lot of wisdom from that. Um, what's more impressive is the way that each of these uh, business leaders does business. Um, so we really do in the group, um, it's called C12 because it's a model uh, that's based on, you know, the Christian concept of uh, Jesus and his 12 disciples and just having counsel around the table. But it is like hardcore business counsel and we pray and the, uh, the trust and the relationships are, I, I can't even begin to tell you how vital they've been to my business. Um, but I've essentially like learned and I don't mean to cheapen a business degree by saying this. I feel like I've gotten a, an honorary business degree in uh, joining this group. And we, we go through a very rigorous curriculum every month. We spend an entire day going through the curriculum. We are held accountable for it. Um, it really is like being in school. Um, so how has my leadership changed? I would not be focusing on the right things with the right skill had I not been a part of C12 and had those other business leaders pour into me. So not only do we go through a curriculum, but we get pointed business advice. Like we bring issues to the table. We say, Hey, I'm struggling with this, or I've got this personnel issue, or I've got this, uh, you know, issue with finance or whatever it is. We solve each other's problems and there's nothing more valuable than that. Um, so it's just a really cool thing to get other people's perspectives. So even if it's not C12, if it's just another group of business leaders or business owners or a community like you have created, um, having that community is priceless. Yeah, find, I feel like I've grown exponentially from it. Do you find that you get new ideas or new practices for doing business because you surround yourself with people outside of your existing industry? Like it Most allows definitely. you to look at things from a different perspective? 
Yeah, most definitely. And I think it's twofold. One, from the curriculum we go through, it is, you know, cutting edge. They're looking at all of the current trends. It's like kind of getting my digest of all the articles right to where I need it and when I need it. Um, but yeah, I, I think to your point, the, the best part is nobody is in my industry. And also, it's such a wonderful blessing to be able to go in there and and we have such a, um, a unique business model where we're very much digital marketers, we're content marketers. So I get to bring that to the group and to the other members and help them in that way. Um, so I also get an opportunity to teach and I've seen that be fruitful for other people. And um, that's really exciting. It's exciting to learn from other industries. Um, it's exciting to not just be around peers who are in my industry and there's no comparison in that group. We're just all across the board, but the unifying factor is a desire to do business for what matters, um, a desire to do it well with integrity and a desire to grow our businesses for the greater good. I love that. And I think also too, it's invigorating when you surround yourself with people from different industries because it's also a challenge of new things that you haven't encountered before. And then the ability yes. to sort of transfer those ideas sometimes. Uh -huh. Because I feel like business is business, regardless of industry. But, it is, like, it is. Yeah, and I'm only laughing because, I mean, I remember my first few months sitting around that table. I was like, what language are we speaking? What is, what is <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, what is a KPI? Somebody explain this to me. Um, and I really did feel like a fish out of water. I was like, what am I doing here? I'm not qualified to be here. But eventually, you know, you pick up on the language and... Um, I wouldn't say I'm proficient in speaking it by any means. They can run circles around me with spreadsheets and all kinds of analysis that I have no idea how to do that, but that's why I hire other people to do it. So, um, but yes, I think that uh, that's a really good point too, is that even if it feels intimidating, even if you feel like you're the only one who doesn't know everything, um, man, just be grateful for that because it's going to help you rise up. I love that. So your team sets goals, obviously. You have your team summits and you share a lot of behind the scenes on social media. What's your process for setting business goals with your team? We redid this this year. So uh, there's two types of goals that we set. Uh, one is our revenue goals and then all the things that surround that. Um, and the other one is team culture goals. So I'll speak just really briefly to both of those. With the revenue goals, we decided as one of our goals, our big picture goals for the year, mm -hmm. is we needed a new way of setting comprehensive goals. Um, we had typically started with, okay, we did this amount of money last year. We wanna keep growing at like 40% every year or whatever it is. So how much product do we need to order to get there? And then we just figure out where it goes. Well, that's a recipe for burnout in certain seasons. So we decided to not do that. Um, and it was, unfortunately, I can't really explain it because it's a huge spreadsheet, but we tried to look at what is our, our capacity? Um, like when, when do we want to sell out of product? Like this last year, we didn't sell out of one year power sheets, um, by the end of the new year. That was a decision we made. We made the decision that we were going to carry inventory over until January, um, and I think we realized that we don't like that anymore. <laughs> we want to be done selling power sheets before the end of the new year so that we can enjoy our new year and not have to worry about anything. Um, so things like that, we just, we've tried to take into account, like, what do we want our lives to look like? How can we be most impactful for people in the big picture? And how can we use those revenue goals 
to circle around that. So for us, that meant this year reducing our revenue goals, um, like quite a bit and not growing at the crazy pace we've grown at before. It still means that we're going to be, and we already are like really hustling to do it, but, um, it, it also means that it's a bit more achievable and that's how we set those goals. Um, we also, of course, look at the data, like we have certain, uh, now I know the term KPIs, key performance indicators, um, that we look at that influence our revenue, which for us would be, you know, typical things, newsletter subscribers, our average order value, our conversion rate at the shop, how many people end up converting, um, site sessions, things like that. So our goals are really centered around how many blog posts do we have the capacity to write this month? meaning how many sessions can we get up and that influences how much revenue we can predict we will get. So it's very comprehensive. And then team culture goals, we use our power sheets. <laughs> we just dig in um, and we look at what didn't work last year. We go through the entire process as a team together, we kind of modify a couple questions, but we um, spend intentionally a few days towards the end of the year, like November, doing power sheets as a team. And it's always exciting and invigorating and gives us real clarity for what's ahead. I love that. You also, during your team summits, you have individuals, team members lead certain portions of the summit. What yes. benefits have you seen from having them step up and lead a session? They learn it. That's what it is. is they <laughs> learn it. You know, that's one reason I love teaching is because I learn. I love to learn. Um, I love to feel like I have a strong grasp of a concept, but that's one of the biggest impetus, impetus, impetus for uh, doing that is it helps team members to engage with the content and to learn how to be a teacher, which we really believe that all of us are goal coaches. Like all of us need to be able to answer a question, give advice, get on stories, um, impart our principles over to people. Um, and it helps to grow leaders too. Um, it helps to take the burden off of me. And I don't mean that in like a selfish way, like I need them to take the burden off of me. Um, but truly we, we don't need to be so reliant on one person in a business. I think it is so helpful to have five or six people in a business who can step up and say, I'm going to lead this session on this. I'm going to give a great PowerPoint on it. I'm going to lead a discussion on it. So they have those skills. Do you feel that by giving them ownership of that specific session, then it also motivates them in their work and you see like a change in their performance, like once you implemented that? Yes. Um, there was a, a, a learning time we did on public speaking a few years ago. And we had everyone kind of rehearse their elevator speech, you know, um, and uh, present that to the group. And we kind of did a little like acting coaching too. Like, you know, just think you're at a party and uh, someone says, what do you do for a living? Get ready to say what you do. Um, and uh, those types of times when, when, like you said, they have ownership of the task, they have ownership of presenting something. Um, it helps everybody to rise up. It's, it's like upskilling is what it is. I agree. I think that's really important. And I think that's why I love seeing that your team does that because I know like the positive impact that it has on individuals, but also the team as a whole. So I think that's yeah, really, it's really energizing. Yeah. How do you respond when critical business goals aren't met? I think this goes back to the crucial conversations, but also then ties into accountability because I think it's easy for us not to have the hard conversations when something isn't met. And it's not always realistic that goals may be met, but they are important. They're set for a reason. So how do you respond when they aren't met? 
Um, I get sad. <laughs> <laughs> well, we just want this happen this 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 month in particular. We're not going to meet our sales goals unless something miraculous happens in five days. Um, and you know, first of all, we look at what are the reasonings, and we want to just get real brass tacks, like you said, accountability. I was just uh, listening to a book that had nothing to do with business a couple of days ago, and this quote jumped out at me from my business, and it said. Um, without deadlines, nothing really gets done. And without accountability, deadlines don't matter. And that is true. I think the secret sauce of a thriving business or anything really is accountability, is doing what you say when you're going to do it um, and holding people to that same standard. So when we don't hit a sales goal, we first look at the reasons why not. Um, we're also tracking our numbers constantly every week, you know, every day. We're looking at this. We can kind of know like something's wrong. We try to readjust. We come up with new tactics. But really, we're trying not to do that as much as possible because it also makes you reactionary in business, and that's never fun. Um, so I think when that happens, we have to have crucial conversations, like you said, which we just did. We say, okay, well, who's responsible for this? Because everybody's accountable for something. That person has to own up to the responsibility of it and say, hey, I made a mistake or I didn't predict this well or this thing went wrong. Um, and that's always an opportunity for us to grow. And then uh, something that I learned from C12 is when you don't hit a sales goal, instead of trying to make it up in the next month, you really need to look 90 days ahead of time so that you can be more proactive and less reactive. Um, and that was gold for advice, because I think we all have the tendency to say, oh, we'll just make it up next month. No, look, be, be more strategic. Where can we just stop and, and not try to do something crazy right now to try to fix it? Because that just sets your train off on a bad track. Um, so we just have to kind of get brass tacks and then we have to motivate people. I think that the hardest thing is team morale when you don't hit a goal, it's really hard. So I, I also think it's really important as a team that we just acknowledge it. And we did. We were just like, we're sad about this. Like we worked our tails off and this stinks, you know. Um, and the act of acknowledging it always helps us to just release it and say, all right, let's put our big girl pants back on and keep on going. <laughs> and I think, you know, what we talked about earlier, the mission, always coming back to why we would do what we do um, helps to re-energize us to keep doing it no matter what happens. I agree. And what you talked about as far as being proactive versus reactive, I think is extremely important. And I, when you were talking about the train, I was also thinking about a car. It's like if you hit a patch of ice, I don't know if that happens in North Carolina. But <laughs> Only on occasion, more where you are. <laughs> um, you don't want to overcorrect because then it makes mm -hmm, it worse. Mm -hmm. And so you just write it out. Exactly right. And yeah. Same with business. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then also to your part about making sure that the team is motivated. What I've learned from mentors is 24 hour period of window where you can have all the emotions, like whether you're mm -hmm. sad, frustrated, mm -hmm. and even if it's a big win, like, because sometimes I think people get caught up in the wins and they then can become complacent. And so mm -hmm. allowing yes. that 24 hour window to fill yeah. whatever it is, whether it's a win or loss, and then moving forward. Man, that's good. I'm going to write that down. That's really good. I agree with you because to me, the biggest um, uh, failure point that we can hit is actually winning. Um, I feel like sometimes winning, like you said, makes you complacent, makes you prideful. Uh, it can make you say, oh, we've got it all figured out and make you rest on your laurels. So 
I'm taking that tip more. So that's good. <laughs> Thank you. Good. 24 hours. <laughs> Feel it and move on. You mentioned in your recent podcast episode of Cultivate Your Life that what matters when making hard decisions is profit for people. And I also noted that you said that in a recent interview for Chapel Hill Magazine. Yep. So, and I know from attending your Making Things Happen conference and other things that when you're 80 and looking back at your time leading women who are part of the Cultivate Who Matters, Cultivate What Matters family, sorry. How would you hopefully <laughs> describe your legacy? Um, you know, as a team, we were just watching that old Simon Sinek TED Talk this morning, the Start With Why video. And he talks about uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s speech about, he, he didn't say, I have a plan. He said, I have a dream. He really got people behind this dream. He helped them to believe it and empowered people to do something about it. Um, and you know, that was probably a terrible parallel because I certainly don't think we're anywhere near the gravity of the work that he's doing and has done for us. Um, but in a, in a similar, similar way, that's what I want. I want people to believe that there's more to this life, that, um, this life isn't it. Uh, I, I want people to believe that, um, that looking at the big picture is really the answer to most of life's problems instead of being so narrowly focused on the challenges and worries of today uh, that growing what lasts longer than us is worth it it's worth the hard work now even if you can't see the fruit of it so i think that uh, i'll use your word and i'll say what i what i hope is that they will feel more equipped and believe in the possibilities of hope and of legacy and that legacy is not about um, your name. It's about helping people to grow a family uh, narrative. It's about helping people to grow, like I said, what lasts longer than them um, and leaving this earth better than we found it. I'm sure that's somebody's slogan somewhere for some green company, but I really mean that. Um, I think that's what I want for my children. I really want them to have a safe space to come to where they can learn how to cultivate what matters. That's what we're building here. We're building this business not for us. We're building it for the next generation and the generation after that. And same thing with these products. They're legacy builders. I agree completely. I think that also, I mean, that has such a huge impact on the culture that you've created within your team, but also mm. enables you to make the decisions that you've had along the way because you've been able to see the big picture. Mm. Whether that it's means a lot. transition with teams oh, that's encouraging. or choices that you've made mm -hmm. within business and whether it's dissolving aspects of your business, yeah. products, I think looking at the big picture. And I think especially now, because sometimes we can be so emotionally driven or even emotionally triggered to step back and say, yeah. what really matters. Yeah. Yep. Love that. So yep. when you're seeking leadership guidance and support, what has been your process? What resources or tools do you recommend? Well, I always have to tell this one. To me, the best business book is the Bible. Uh, I have no better resource than that. Uh, just as a team, as a leadership team, we stop and we pray. We go through scriptures that have to do with business every week. Um, and that is the most valuable thing I think we could have ever done. 
Um, and the other ones that I've mentioned here support our efforts in that, which would be uh, the traction model. It's just a great operating system. And, and I will also say that it's not the kind of book you like read once and then you have all the tools. It, they say in the book, it takes you two years to implement the principles. And when we read that, we're like, ha ha ha, we make things happen. We will get this done faster than you think. Sure enough, we're at the two year mark as of like five days ago, and we finally feel like we get it. <laughs> so yeah, they were right, they were right. Um, I, so I think that any of those EOS books, they're from a company called the Entrepreneurial Operating System. You can go to EOS, I think it's eosonline.com or something. Um, Rocket Fuel is another one of their books is great. So I'd say there are some really great books out there. I mean, what a luxury we have that um, we have books that are written by people who have done it really well. Uh, so I can't recommend that enough. Um, and also uh, being a part of a group like C12, which they have, you know, national chapters all over the place. Um, uh, or just being in a business group where you feel like you're around people that are going to grow you and stretch you and push you into the right things. Uh, that counsel is extremely helpful for me with leadership guidance. Um, but you know what else? This might be kind of countercultural advice. I ask people for advice that are not necessarily the people that people would think are leaders. I love asking my junior team members what they think. Um, love that. I, I, I think we take for granted how um, people who are either junior to us in their experience or younger than us can have a perspective that can really change things. Um, so I love that. I love that. And I think for me, hearing you say that, the value in that is because they see things differently than us. Because sometimes when you have a lot of experience, there's a tendency that you can be jaded or cynical or think that you know it yeah. all or you've yeah. tried something before and it doesn't work. And having yep. that fresh pair of eyes to see something new can add new energy and a new perspective, which I think is really important, but also like it challenges us and what we believe. Mm, totally so does. That you said that. Yeah. I think you always just got to be open to it. Um, and you know, you asked about what is my process for guidance and support. Um, <clears throat> trying to think of a recent example where we're trying to figure something out. I mean, it happens all the time where I think my first, no, in knowing myself, I like to process things verbally. So Emily Thomas is our chief of staff and she tends to help me process things verbally. <laughs> and uh, her father is also uh, an expert in diplomatic communication. Like he basically teaches us all day long. So that's very helpful because it transferred to her and she helps me to work through all my thoughts in a very diplomatic way. Um, and I think just having people to bounce ideas off of and bounce thoughts of, uh, off of in a safe space. Um, I mean, all my team members do that. I, I'm, I'm working with each of them one-to-one -one in some capacity at some point throughout the week. Um, and that's very helpful because again, it doesn't have to be someone who is in your seat or who knows everything that you know, but just getting an outsider's perspective can be helpful in the process of guidance. Um, but for me, I just, I pray. I know that might sound like a super inactive step, but that's literally what I do. I'm like, I have no idea what to do here. I will frequently stop us in the middle of a meeting and say, I got to pray. Like, let's just stop here. Because um, clearly none of us know what to do. <laughs> I just did it two days ago. Um, and I think that is just a helpful rhythm for us. I love that. I think that's really important. And I'm glad that you shared that. Yep. 
Well, thank you for being here and sharing your story and for not being afraid to go deep and tell us several <laughs> things behind the scenes. I really appreciate that. So tell us, Lara, where can we connect more with you? Hmm. Well, I hope you connect with me at some point with a real hug. <laughs> but um, everyone, you can find me at laracasey.com, L-A-R-A-C-A-S-E-Y.com, or of course at cultivatewhatmatters.com. Great. Well, thank you. And we will talk to you soon. Oh, thank you. This was fun. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Women Who Excel. Continue the conversation about leadership with our VIP listeners inside the academy at littleblackdeskacademy.com. Again, littleblackdeskacademy.com. Enjoy the podcast? Share it with a friend and or leave a review sharing what you enjoyed most and why someone else should listen to it. Let's go lead with excellence.